0: Hello and welcome to Talking About My Generation, a pop culture podcast dedicated to children of the 80s, 90s, and even into the 21st century. If you're new to the show, welcome. On this podcast, we'll discuss movies, video games, and television shows that we grew up on. I do have my co-host Mike with us here. I ain't no hood ornament, PV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's our reference to the movie that we are covering tonight. Uh... We are going to go, depending upon how you want to judge it, either back to 1938 or back to the summer of
1: 1991. This is when blockbusters were... Okay, granted, today we still have blockbusters, but the landscape has changed so much since 1990. You know, we talked about this last time when we did the Teen Wolf thing for Halloween with the posters. I mean, the landscape for blockbusters in the last... 20 25 years 30 years has changed so much and i remember going to the theater and seeing this as an 11 year old yeah uh I-, I don't remember actually what, you know i remember the movie but i don't actually remember as an 11 year old actually sitting there watching the movie i mean i know i sat there and watched it but it's like i have no retention of actually you know what i saw on the screen at the time like how i was feeling as an 11 year old seeing this movie but I friggin' like... This is the adventure movie I want to watch. This is the the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. This is the, you know... Uh, Empire Strikes Back. This is the... No, I'm not saying The Rocketeer is as good as those movies, but what I'm saying is, like, this is an adventure... Like, right now, at, you know, I'm almost 35 years old, and it's it's getting to the point where plots are so just generic and reused so yep. many times. Um this back then was fresh. It was interesting. It was awesome. You know, it was a period piece, and you know, who whoever thought of doing a period piece in the nineties? You know, but it, it, yeah, you know, a lot of them were done. And this movie, it, it I don't care what anyone says, this movie still holds up today. It holds up, and it might I might even enjoy it more now that I'm an adult than you I know, did it as an eleven year old. I
0: would say the exact same thing. Partially because I when I first saw the movie, I was kind of like. And you, know, and you have to understand When that did you first see it. I saw it in the theaters in 91 Okay. and I was all excited about it. I thought, Hey, this is going to be awesome. We're going to go out. We're going to see this movie. It looks cool. It's a Disney film, you know, and this was, th- this was my freshman year. So mm-hmm. I'm all excited that this is going to go great, you know, and everybody's going to love this film. And then I got there and I was kind of like, Oh, it's, <laughs> well it's cool it's it's cuz i mean i thought it was going to be more sci-fi and we were going to see you know action and everything and it was kind of that but mm. not really and that was what i was disappointed about i i guess maybe because when i saw the posters i had this vision that the rocketeer was actually going to be somebody going through space uh you know and you have to you have to imagine cuz the posters that all all the posters that i had seen had been this image of the art deco style. And so I was kind of like, okay, so it's it's going to be like Flash Gordon maybe. You know, mm. I really didn't know what to expect. And it was it was better than I thought, but it was still not quite as good then. Okay. Right. Right. Now, now having grown up, you know, and the other part of it too is that when you live in San Diego, San Diego <laughs> is an aerospace it's an aerospace mecca. Okay, mm-hmm. we had you know we had the Spirit of St. Louis built here. It was literally built right downtown. Uh, you know we've got the aerospace museum that's got an A twelve sitting outside of it. Uh, we've had all sorts of things come through here in the way of aerospace, and you know we've had General Dynamics that was here. We've had uh, Martin. God, there's been Lockheed Martin that's been out here. All sorts of different aerospace industry things. So a Mm -hmm. lot of the stuff, Hughes Aircraft, was they had a spot down here as well as being up in Los Angeles. A lot of stuff going on here. So the aerospace industry, I was seeing a lot of that. And it was kind of like, oh, okay. I was bored with a lot of planes by that point.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And this film taking place basically about, you know, 10, 15 years, you know, 10, 20 years after the birth of, you know, commercial planes really and it was still a lot of the air stuff going on was still that kind of wild west in a sense right right uh, so i mean for this to come out with rockets here and they're talking about oh he's going to be able to fly without wings i was kind of like okay yeah we've heard it null in you know i was kind of thinking well rocket packs at that point it's basically some guy gets on it he jumps straight up flies for about you know 400 500 feet and then lands again this was completely different from that.
1: This to me is watching this movie again. I can draw so many similarities to Superman, Lois Lane and Lex Luthor.
0: Oh yeah. Now, certainly.
1: I I mean, it just like (laughs) they even have him up against the American flag, just like Superman did in Superman (laughs) four. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, wow, really? We're really doing that? I, I mean, I understand it's America versus Germany in in this movie because it's you know, spoilers, people. If you haven't seen it by now, there's something wrong with you. This is a damn good movie. Anyone should be watching this now, especially yeah. now that it's on Netflix. Uh, yeah, um, you know, so it's basically the the Nazis want to get this rocket that Howard Hughes built. Um. Uh, it's it's one of the Nazi plots to, you know, win the war. You know, this is 1938. This is a few years before World War II. St- this is like on the, it's like right before the war started, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, it was like, I want to say 39 was really when it started to kick off. Mm-hmm. We weren't brought in until 44, mm. uh, or 41, I think it was. Yeah. My history's bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... You know just a lot of this going on and you see these things and the elements that are leading up to it uh the there were a lot of things that I liked about this film for what it was let i mean let's let's talk the story here real quick I mean obviously you've mentioned Howard Hughes getting involved with this he he designed the jet pack or the rocket mm-hmm. pack you had Cliff Secord and his mechanic uh p v p body Mm -hmm. And they built that little GB racer, which those things were awesome, but they were basically, from what I've heard of people actually trying to fly those things, they were scary as hell because of how small they were, and they just were squirrely all over the place.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you look at Cliff in that thing and it's like, how the hell is he even in, the, you know, you look at him when, when it shows him of the, sh- the shots of him in the wind, like in the plane itself. And it just shows the window in his face and he's, fly- you know, yeah. it's basically a head. It's like, oh, my God, it's a good thing. You know, Casey Jones isn't flying one of those things since he's so claustrophobic.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is basically you're looking at it. It's a flying coffin. <laughs> I don't Pretty know how it's yeah. a Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but. There were some neat things about this film. I mean, with with the way that the plot had, you had mobsters that were trying to get the rocket pack, and they were trying to get the rocket pack for the Nazis, Uh, so you've got them kind of going back and forth. You've got a Nazi spy who is one of Hollywood's leading men. You've got Cliff Secord's girlfriend, who just happens to be extras in movies. You know, she's always trying to get these parts. Mm Mm-hmm. you know, you've got Cliff, you got Cliff and Peavy who discover this thing, and they're they're going, "Hey, this is cool. We got to test this thing out." And you know, they put the whole thing together. Peavy starts reworking the thing so it flies better, and you know, he builds the whole helmet and everything. And you finally see that the CIA is trying to get this thing back, you know, or the FBI, I think it was somebody within the federal government is trying to get this back so that they can get it to Howard Hughes to keep it out of the hands of the Nazis. Mm-hmm. And towards the end of the film, what happens? Cliff ends up handing it over to the Nazis, and the Nazis kidnap him, take him take him on board. They they take his girlfriend on board the uh blimp. The Nazi Yeah, the Nazi Zeppelin. I wanted to say I wanted to say the Hindenburg, but no, this was not the Hindenburg.
1: No, this is not the Hindenburg. <laughs> In fact, and-
0: the name of it was the Luxembourg.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this basically is taking place one year before World War II started. And World War II was thirty-nine to forty-five, so this is one year prior to the war. So this this plan was enacted by the Germans in this story. You know, the, the you want to talk about you know pre, you know pre planning. This is like in the beginning stages before the war started, so it's like they're trying to come up with an ace in the hole before they've even started the fighting.
0: Yeah, and you know, really, Hitler was being—you know—Hitler had come to power. He was really just plotting, and that was kind of the whole thread of this. They—they they, mm-hmm. they hadn't actually started to go off and say, "Hey, we're going to take over this and that and everything else." So, uh, but you know. For this story, looking back, looking back for it, you know, 20 years later, 20, what, 23 years later. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. I I was enthralled to sit there and go, oh my God, I, you know, this is so cool. Seeing all these things now and seeing the planes and seeing the Zeppelins flying over Los Angeles, uh, you know, really looking around and kind of going, man, this is cool. And, And seeing them trying to do some of the barnstorming type of things you know, the the flights, the clown flight with mm-hmm. that horrible piece of crap plane. yeah, um, just was phenomenal. I, lo- I I was in heaven for that. <laughs> uh, you know that that and then of course when uh Cliff goes to try and go warn his girlfriend about uh to go warn Jenny about uh Neville Sinclair and they go to the South Seas club. Seeing that first off, I've been through LA South seas club is not like right there next to Grauman's Chinese theater. Like they say it was. Okay. Well,
1: you know, they have to, they have to embellish a little, you know, yeah. it's movie, it's movies like this that I don't mind some, you know, Hollywood land move arounds and some, you know, sidesteps because it is so well executed. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. And it really was. I mean, things were, things have been changed. Obviously a lot of things have been moved around. They talk about the Brown Derby, Brown Derby is no longer right there behind uh Graumans. It's actually moved up to Los Feliz in Hollywood. Uh which is like it's like the other side of Hollywood now. So uh but I mean there's there's all sorts of little things for it. And I just I love how they put this thing together, how well it came together, you know, the 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 big turning point, the MacGuffin, which I thought was kind of good in the movie they shoot the rocket pack he gets a hole in it and it's leaking alcohol so so uh pv takes his gum takes cliff's gum and sticks it in the hole mm mm-hmm. and then of course at the very end how do they get away with it he peels the gum away and hands it off to the villain and the villain blows up
1: <laughs> Yup.
0: you know i i thought that was great i'm like okay you know what i'll give that <laughs> uh <laughs> but yeah you know i mean just a lot of the stuff seeing the griffith observatory uh that was that was awesome. And it really still looks like that to this day. You still see a lot of that architecture there. Uh, but yeah, just, uh, you know, I was happy for the film to see it and, and have that nostalgia come back for it. Uh, so let's jump in. We'll talk about the cast real quick. Uh, there were a lot of... When this movie came out, I would say that there were a lot of unknowns. Now... Definitely not unknowns. (laughs) No. Uh, Now, obviously, we have Billy Campbell as as Cliff Secord, a.k.a. The Rocketeer. Uh, You
1: know, I mean, he's done... (sighs) He's not done a lot, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, honestly, seriously, when I first saw his name, maybe I was associating to another character name, but when I saw his name, Billy Campbell, I'm like... Hey, is that the guy from? Is that the kid from Gremlins? And I looked at it. I'm like, no, it's not. But yeah, you know what I found really interesting is, and I didn't even know this. Of course, I didn't really pay attention to the movie. This movie that I'm going to mention when it first came out, but he played the villain in 2002's Enough with Jennifer Lopez. You know, that that's was, the only other thing that I know him from. My my wife said the exact same thing.
0: We're sitting here watching it, and she goes, "Hey." Wasn't he the husband in, in enough? And I'm like, I don't know. I wouldn't looked at it. Sure enough. <laughs> sure sure, yeah, sure, enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's, he's done some things since then. He's, you know, Helix. Uh, he's done that as a TV series, the killing with Kevin mm-hmm. Bacon, um, you know, full circle killing Lincoln, Copperhead, um, uh, there might be some people who've heard of uh, Fat Kid Rules the World. It it sounds like something I've heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did have a one shot role on Eureka as Doctor Bruce Manless. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's he's been around, you know. He's, he's
1: been around, but he hasn't been around like James Bond has. And I can't believe they had James Bond playing a Nazi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I just can't believe because the Bond films were yeah. This was ninety one, so *License to Kill* and *Living Daylights* were way before this. *License to Kill* was eighty nine, so um yeah, that was a little strange for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was acceptable. I, you know, I was kind of like, okay, you know, *Living Daylights* was not. And I'm gonna License say this is
1: my more favorite out of the two.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna say this, mm-hmm. and I'm probably gonna take shit for this, but. Dalton is not one of the favored 007s. He's de- not a favorite James Bond. <laughs> it depends Bond.
1: on who you ask. Yeah. Because I know a couple of guys out of Brooklyn. Uh, my buddies over at Better in the Dark, uh, Tom and Derek, they actually love his his short-lived run on yeah. as, as Bond. So, I mean, I liked him as Bond compared to... Connery and Moore know he is not as good as they are, but it was a different Bond. It was a different yeah. time. And and sadly, it was the death schnell of, of the Bond franchise until uh, until Remington Steel revived it in 95.
0: Yeah, when Brosnan rolled around, I was happy. You know, he was a good Bond. Oh, yeah. He was a great Bond. You I know. think
1: we need to spend... Uh, uh, I think January 2015 needs to be... Uh, uh, James Bond month for talking about my generation and spend it on the on the on the Brosnan films. Oh I think we could do that <laughs> <laughs> I think we could I think we could snagle that <laughs> yeah uh,
0: but yeah so I mean you know Timothy Dalton I, I thought he was excellent in this especially seeing him as you know his various roles playing Neville Sinclair mm-hmm. you know the the whole bit with him as being the laughing bandit. <laughs> I, I love that.
1: Here, I'll oh. just reveal myself right now. <laughs> All I can think of is Daffy Duck and the Scarlet Pumpernickel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. I saw that the same thing. Oh,
0: But, I mean, no, we have, I mean, and there's still, this is the thing is that we've only touched on two of the main characters, you oh, know, know. two of the main cast. You've yeah. got Jennifer Connelly, who anybody who's anybody from this generation remembers her from Labyrinth. You yeah, know, you know, the much, yeah. labyrinth, uh, she also showed up in a beautiful mind. Uh, she had quite a few things, but I, I looked at her and I was like, eh, you know, I, I all I could think of when I kept staring at her in the white dress was mm-hmm. either she's wearing a push-up bra or she's got some huge cans. <laughs> and I actually told my wife that, and she goes, yeah, I don't know.
1: It, she might be wearing a padded bra. Mm-hmm the I think I've seen her in a number of things, but the one thing I really remember her from um, other than two thousand three's uh crouching tiger hidden hulk um you know uh the one role i really remember her from honestly is higher learning she played taryn in that and alongside uh christy swanson and ice cube and uh lawrence fishburne she plays this um this other student that's at columbia university and you know is basically a force for you know women's rights on the campus and you know safety and all this and all that, and is a really really weird scene in that movie. Uh, with her, um, it, it just the way Saint John Singleton did that scene, it, 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 you, you're not sure which person, whether it's the guy that that Kristen, um, um oh god, what's her name, Crite, um. You're not sure if uh, the character of uh, Kristen Connor, who is played by Christie Swanson, you're not sure if she's sleeping with the guy she's interested in or if she's sleeping with Jennifer Connolly. It's a really weird mirror look at how the scene plays out. And it's really, really strange. And, and that's really the only thing that I really remember her from other than this movie. I mean, I've seen other things that she's in. I've seen dark city. Um, okay. I'm going to bring to mention the, one of the first ones
0: I remember her seeing in seeing her in, and this was right around that time of, you know, birth of puberty. Mm -hmm. Um, Career opportunities, where she was starring <laughs> with Frank Whaley. Ah, uh, yeah. There is a scene. They're in like a Target or something like that, and I forget what it is. They're they're both working like, you know, after hours, mm-hmm. and she's there and she's riding one of those mechanical horses,
1: mm. <laughs> and
0: she's wearing a very tight halter top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh Drool. <laughs>
1: yeah. Homer Simpson Drool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh more recently she's been in stuff like The Dilemma from 2011 2013 Stuck in Love, um, Twenty Winter's Tale, Noah and A Loft, uh, and Shelter. I guess Shelter is coming out or something or other. I don't know. It it's not linked on here, it just lists it. I mean she's had an interesting career and she's a really good actress. Uh oh
0: yeah. You know so. it it's we're not gonna discount her being, you know, bad because obviously she's done quite a bit that's that's oh, been absolutely. popular. So uh but moving on, I, I've gotta mention one of my favorites in this movie, P V, aka Alan Arkin. <laughs> uh I, I love Alan Arkin. I mean he's done so much from when he was the grandfather in Little Miss Sunshine uh playing in Get Smart. He's you know, he's one of these characters that you see him and he's always kind of this you know horrible and I don't want to say horrible, but like he always kind of plays this nasty, beat up man, and then you kind of see him becoming nicer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh he was that way when he was Rance Holloway in the incredible Burt Wonderstone, uh which I thought was great. You know, he kind of plays this Lance Burton uh d- David Copperfield type old school magician from like the, the sixties and seventies. Mm. And I, I love him for that role. And and he just was, he was so funny and so smooth and you get to see him being hilarious in these roles. And then you also get to see him being very serious in other things that he's done. You know, I mean, Argo, for example, he's not, you know, he got to play something
1: fairly serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still have to see that movie. I have not seen it yet. There's a lot of movies in the past two and a half, three years that I have not seen.
0: Yeah. Um
1: one thing that I always have to bring up is really interesting, is from 70 to 71 in some unknown episodes, he plays Larry on Sesame Street. <laughs> yes. And in nineteen eighty he starred as himself in season four, episode twenty of The Muppet Show. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love him. Gotta love him. Uh, Eighty-five. He was on Fairy Tale Theater, uh, the Emperor's New Clothes episode. Um, he hasn't done a lot of television right now. He's more into movies at this point. Uh, last year he had, like you already mentioned, The Incredible Burt Wonderstone, Grudge Match, Insecurity. Uh, this year he had Million Dollar Arm, which we've already kind of spoken about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, Next year, he's supposed to have something called Wild Oats, uh, American comedy film directed by Andy Tennant and written by Gary Canoon, Claudia Myers, stars Demi Moore, Jessica Lange, Shirley McLean, uh, Billy Connolly, and Alan Arkin. Uh, when a woman accidentally receives a check for $900,000 instead of $900, her friend convinces her to keep the money, and they both end up on a mad dash towards paradise. As much as I love Alan Arkin, I knew.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a stretch. Uh yeah, you think? You know, yeah. Uh, so let's let's kind of just move down the role. We've only got a couple more that I really want to touch on. Okay. Uh, obviously, we've got Eddie Valentine, the gangster. Mm-hmm. Paul Servino. Oh my God! You know, every time I see him, this is he played the perfect role for this because he always has been like that. you you see him and you think gangster, gangster. That's what I think every time I see him, Mm -hmm. you know, and and some of that's due to his roles and, you know, good fellas, obviously here in the Rocketeer. Uh, But yeah, you know, Mira Sorvino's dad, he is still
1: doing great work. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Currently, let's see here. Come on. Wow. He's done a lot. Um, His last, uh, major thing was um uh <laughs> wow jersey shore shark attack what the i don't even i don't even want to click on that yeah um, <laughs> i'm afraid that's like a sharknado <laughs> yeah he um uh let's see mr 3000 in 2004 still standing uh tv series 2004 2006 um most recently he's done divorce invitation from 2012 he hasn't really worked the last couple of years according to wikipedia he hasn't uh, had a lot of stuff come up well he but still was, i mean he's he, he was been, on
0: abc Family's santa baby 2
1: christmas maybe yeah
0: yeah exactly it's jenny mccarthy i'm gonna leave it at
1: that On, uh, well, you know, she is dating a new kid on the block, or in this case, an old kid on the block. Yeah. Um, uh, According to IMDb, he's had a lot more stuff than what Wiki lists. um, uh, The the Devil's Carnival, the Bronx Bull. Uh, Bronx Bull is apparently coming up. Uh, Careful what you wish for. These are all things that are coming up. Um, He's got a lot that he's coming out with. yeah, Yeah, he's got a lot. 2015 is going to be one of his busiest years. It looks like, you know, if you you know take IMDb with a grain of salt, but still, Um, we got to talk about uh, um, John Polito. John (laughs) Polito. He was the um, yes. He was the circus guy. Yes. He was the the ringmaster. Yeah, Bigelow. Uh, This guy. I remember him like it was yesterday, but I don't remember it, what it was from. Honestly, because it's one—he's one of those actors that has that voice, and he's like, you know, the whole thing when he comes in and says, "You know, we're sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we have an emergency on the runway." Uh, he grabs them like, "What are you crazy?" It's all just a part of the show, yeah. And he has that—he has one of those voices that is just so memorable. But I don't remember what the hell from. um
0: maybe batman year one he was the voice of commissioner Loeb. ah okay yeah Uh, okay there in and in batman arkham origins uh he's also been lucky louis giannelli on franklin and
1: bash okay he has also done a long stint uh at the time homicide life on the street um, this is back, uh, 94. Or so, uh, he did Blank Man in 94 as Michael the Suit Minelli. Um, I mean, he's done a lot of stuff. He was on Roseanne as Mr. Russo in the episode Millions from Heaven. Yeah. Um, he, he's just one of those actors that you just remember. He was on Seinfeld as, uh, uh Silvio, uh, Oh, yeah. The reverse Peephole episode. That's where I remember him from. <laughs> <laughs> That's He was the landlord. I remember him now. Yes. Now I got it. Um, uh, so there is that. Oh, I know where else I remember him from. He was the voice of the Major in Batman Beyond in uh, the Betrayal episode. Yes. So I do remember that now. Uh, Very awesome. Uh, You know, he's just one of those actors that has a charismatic uh, look and and voice to him. Um, Oh yeah, he—he's definitely a character actor. You see him, you know him, you recognize his voice,
0: but Mm -hmm. that's—it's like you can never remember his name.
1: Well, it's not even that I couldn't remember his name. I couldn't remember until I started looking at it. I couldn't remember what the hell else I'd seen him in. Yeah. Um. So. uh, Now. Good. One last
0: person that I want to touch on, because my wife recognized him, and damn near everybody else will know this guy as soon as they see him. Mm-hmm. Although it was kind of weird seeing him with hair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> referring to, of course, Terry O'Quinn. Yes. Uh, now, I'm sure everybody's going, Terry O'Quinn, where have I heard that name before?
1: Just go ahead and say it. ABC yeah. lost. Well, he was I mean, lock
0: on lost. He was also in Alias as well. So,
1: you know, he, he had the
0: whole gamut of, um, JJ Abrams stuff. So
1: absolutely. Um,
0: I I thought it was funny that he was playing as Howard Hughes.
1: (laughs) You know, I always liked that he, um, wait a minute. Is he also, hold on a second. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. What was that? 98. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. He, Terry O'Quinn is an actor of many faces, ladies and gentlemen, even though he has his only one face. But recently, over the last couple of months, I had done a soundtrack review for La La Land Records' release, uh, X-Files Fight the Future, the 1998 X-Files movie. He was uh, deputy uh, chief in charge or deputy agent in charge, uh, Michaud. And I'm like... I'm looking at him here as Howard Hughes, and I'm like, well, where have I? Oh shit! Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: He's one of those people that you recognize, and you know, I, I am glad that he was in this. I, I, you know, I liked Howard Hughes in this role, and he needed to be in here. You needed to have either him or, you know, some other big magnet name for industry. Times, yeah. yeah, you know. And he was perfect for it, you know who else who else could they have gotten that was on the West Coast at that time in Los Angeles area? yeah, no other than you know none other than Howard Hughes,
1: yeah, I mean it's not like you know Howard Stark was you know, yeah, <laughs> stuff for his son at that point <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh but yeah, yeah I you know I loved him in this there was the one thing that I loved him saying, and this is one of these little things that. It was a quote, and my wife didn't get it. When they, when you see, uh, when you see Cliff, and he goes to, he goes to run away from Howard Hughes and everybody there, the FBI. Mm-hmm. He grabs and he jumps and holds on to that giant plane and uses the plane to go flying out of the the hangar. Right. Okay. My wife didn't get that. She sees it and he goes, "Wow! What do you know? The damn thing will fly." <laughs> <laughs> and she's like. I don't get it. I'm like, that's the Spruce Goose. She goes, I yeah. still don't get it. The Spruce Goose was a giant plane that never really flew except, well, it did fly for about a mile, only about 70 feet off the water, and that was
1: it. Maybe you should have uh, told her it was the Spruce Moose and Yogi and Boo Boo were on board. Oh.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing that. I, I I feel like I'm one of the only people who ever remembers Seeing the spruce moose.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. A lot of people remember it. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, you know, that was one of the coolest things about this movie is having him as Howard. No one else. You know, I know that um, Mr. DiCaprio played uh, played him in The Aviator, but Terry O'Quinn is easily, even though he's only in this movie for a few moments, a few scenes, he's easily the best Howard Hughes I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, I will give you that. He he definitely was spot on for this role. So, uh, you know, I think that's pretty much it for what I have with cast and and uh, whatnot. I do want to touch only because I know you were mentioning on Facebook earlier today.
1: <laughs> the music. Well, before we get into that, I think we do need to bring up the comics just a little bit because oh. this did start as a yes, as please a, do. As a comic, it was created by writer-illustrator Dave Stevens, who sadly passed away in 2008 at the age of 52. Um, uh, The character first appeared in 1982 in an homage to the Saturday matinee serial heroes of the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, the racketeer is the secret identity of Cliff Secord, a stunt pilot who discovers a mysterious jetpack that allows him to fly. His adventures are set in Los Angeles and New York in 1938, and Stevens gave them a retro nostalgia feel influenced by the King of the Rocket Men movie uh, serial and syndicated Commando Cody TV series, both from Republic Pictures, uh, and a pin uh, and pinup diva Betty Page. Okay, now, here's where I know a lot of listeners might... Um, not be too um too positive about the movie because they did change the name of Cliff's girlfriend to Jenny Blake instead of Betty. Well, there
0: there's a lot of reason for that. Again, this was a Disney right. film, right? No, they no, wanted to keep it a little bit more squeaky clean.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Betty Page was, for those who don't know, I I I love Betty Page. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, Betty Page was she did a lot of boudoir pictures and a lot of topless pictures, a lot of things involving like leather whips, you know, the whole S and M before there was really things like playboy and doing topless pictures. That was illegal at the time for them to sell it. It was considered pornography. And what she would do is she would take topless pictures and then you would get a postcard that would have the, that would have a top drawn in. And if you just wiped away that all of a sudden you could see her topless. Mm-hmm. So it, there was a lot of that going on at the time and people were this was back in that era a lot of people were going hey you want to you want to buy a picture you want to buy a postcard here <laughs> guys selling it out of their coats naked women. So you know that was going on and and that was part of what was going on with Betty Page. So that stereotype was hanging around that and they really didn't want to have Betty Page being involved with Disney at the time. You know Eisner was still trying to keep it squeaky clean. Although that bit when you see WC Fields show up at the South Seas Restaurant <laughs> and he starts staring at her boobs, mm-hmm. I was like, "Really? <laughs> wow! <laughs> Can't believe Disney actually wanted that in there."
1: Yeah. Um, there are uh, several. Uh, you know, the, since, you know, the initial run of The Rocketeer, um, let's see here. The Rocketeer first adventure appeared in 1982, as a backup feature, issues two and three of Mike Grell's Star Slayer series. Uh, stories continued in Rocketeer Adventure Magazine. Two issues were published by Comico Comics in 1988 99. Um, February eighth, two 2009, IDW Publishing announced a hardcover collecting the entire series for the first time. So basically, IDW has the rights to this at this point, And IDW has, they're all on comiXology. Uh, we have Rocketeer, the Hollywood Horror. Uh, you wanted more Rocketeer and you've got it. Missing Scientists, Plucky Go Reporters, Betty and Cliff on the Rocks, Mysterious Church of cos- Cosmicism. Uh, and who is the sinister auto rune pulp thrills the way you like them and the rocketeer comes up against a brand new adversary in the Hollywood horror so that takes place after the events of the film I believe there's also the rocketeer cargo of doom Um, that was a 30th anniversary kind of thing uh, there are four issues in that there's also a collected edition that's 7 dollars so that's not too bad and then there's the main uh, series that is just collected. Um, it's just a, a a collected edition. Let me see here. Rocketeer by Dave Stevens is running on tribute. Uh, all new coloring. So basically, it's it's the it's those original stories for for five ninety nine in Comicsology. So, I mean, there are still comics, and it is pretty cool that IDW still has this. I'm hoping that they will do more in the future um it does say here in the publication notes that in september of 2014 idw uh, issued the rocketeer jetpack adventures a prose anthology of 10 short stories written by authors including yvonne navarro don webb gregory frost nancy holder nancy a collins and others these stories cover the adventures of the rocketeer from 39 through 45
0: I think it'd so. be good. I, I, I would look forward to it, you know. Yeah. Uh, there are, and I do want to kind of mention a couple of things here since we were talking before we get into the soundtrack and the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there was all this popularity with the comic book, they wanted to originally have this be a trilogy. This was originally set up to be a series of three movies.
1: were they were it never happened.
0: Yeah. Um that and a lot of that was due to really bad box office sales and mm-hmm. this is the thing there were a lot of other people a lot of people going to see other movies than this i think part of it is because of when this came out in the summer it was a late summer release mm-hmm. late summer releases generally are not popular mm-hmm. uh, so that i, I think that kind of hurt the rocketeer on that on that front
1: well i no, it says here it was released June 21st, 91. I mean, that's not really late summer. Yeah, maybe you're right. I, it just... I don't know. I, you know, hey, you know, maybe it wasn't for people because, you know, maybe it was, you know, maybe it was for the people that read the old comics and not for the mainstream because, you know, we just had Indy facing off against the Nazis in 89 and in Last Crusade. You yeah, ninety one is you know two three years later, and I don't know, but I mean the thing had a budget of forty two million and it made sixty two. Yeah, know, had, a, had a yeah. So,
0: I mean, it just wasn't that huge movie that they expected, and there was a lot, lot of budget spent on mm. advertising for this film. I mean, the movie posters were all over. You saw that art deco. Shot, which I'll put it up on. I'll put it up on the web page here for everybody mm-hmm. to see and on Facebook. It's already there. Uh,
1: yeah, I have a tendency to do that. <laughs> hey, no
0: <laughs> problem. You're hearing no complaints from me on that one. <laughs> uh But yeah, I you know I like this film for what it was. Uh Just a lot of that, though. Unfortunately, with the sequel, because that because of how poor the thing did, they didn't actually release the sequel. Which I'm kind of glad for that. This I, film does not
1: need a sequel. This film does not need a reboot. It does not, you know... Well, I know, In 20, as, of tw- as of two years ago, Disney is reported to be developing a remake of The Rocketeer. Uh, apparently, the Saw series creator, James Wayne, or Juan, or whatever the hell his name is, has talked about directing the film. Now, I don't want the damn person that created Saw involved with The Rocketeer. I just yeah. don't. It is just wrong. Um, and honestly, I, I don't think a sequel will work. Uh, I I really don't because Arkin is too old. Uh, Connelly, you know, I mean, she hasn't lost her touch. She hasn't lost her looks, but she's not as young as she used to be. And I'm sure Campbell, he's not like, unless they're going to do a straight reboot with different characters, like, Make a new younger Cliff Seacord, or have, like, you know, are they going to pull a James Bond and okay, go, we'll go ahead and say this is Cliff Seacord, and we'll say that this is Jenny Blake and whatever else, even though it's not the the actors that we saw in the first, I just don't. Yeah. I just wish Hollywood would leave this crap alone. It's like seriously, let the film go on the way it is. And let people just cherish it or not like it. You know, you don't have to like this film, ladies and gentlemen, but we are suggesting that you do and you should. Um, But, I mean, this film is just so fun. And I I, I think a sequel, a reboot, a remake, whatever, would just ruin it. It it won't ruin the reputation. It won't ruin the enjoyment that we have from watching (laughs) the 91 film. But it would just be like... Hey, a cash grab. Yay. Yeah. Disney does not need cash grabs right now.
0: Yeah. God knows they've got enough of that with, you know, Star Wars 7 coming out. According to
1: C3PO, it's the best Star Wars ever.
0: I'll reserve judgment for it until after it comes out. (laughs) You know, Uh, Anthony Daniels may know what he's talking about. But again, they said the same thing about Phantom Menace and Phantom Menace turned out to be the Phantom Turd. So,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, anyway, <laughs> to get on to the music, because this is really, I I was really really impressed with this music. I, I again, I've grown up listening to a lot of the swing music, a lot of the jazz type music of this era. So this was to me, I'm listening to it as soon as they get into the South Seas rest, you know, the South Seas restaurant, and we start hearing the music come up. I immediately hear the clarinet, and I go, "Oh, hey, that sounds like Begin the Big Win." Yeah. And my wife goes, What? And I'm like, just listen. And I start humming along and she's like, How do you know this? This is an old song. I'm like, <laughs> I used to go dancing to this crap, so I know it. <laughs> uh but yeah, it's I, I love the thirties and forties music. It, it's just it's such a different time. And the band leaders, a lot of them were black, you know, Count Basie, Duke Ellington. Oh, absolutely. You know, Billie Holiday, and you got to see them going around, and they were popular. Cab Calloway, even, you know, would, would do a lot of these numbers. So you'd see this here, and you'd see this type of environment. And all just. As I can
1: think, you, you keep mentioning all these guys. All as I can think of is Back to the Future. Chuck, Chuck, it's your, bro, it's your cousin, Marvin. Marvin Barry, listen to this. That's all I can <laughs> think of. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll have to cover that maybe sometime in january oh, yeah. february it's we'll have to get uh, to that movie at some point oh
1: lord
0: yeah, yeah. <gasps> uh but yeah there there was just so much in this you know I mean you have the a lot of it was just background music for this for the soundtrack mm-hmm. but still just I would love to sit here and listen to the soundtrack again and again and again because I love the music and you you can't really go wrong with James Horner's you know, as a composer for this. So right. I, I haven't found anything that he's done that I haven't liked yet.
1: Yeah. I mean, just kind of going through his, um, let me see if I can pull him up here. Where is his name? Uh, James Horner. Um, let's see, you know, for film scores, um, you know, eighty eighty one star Trek, the wrath of Khan, uh, Pursuit of D.B. Cooper, Brainstorm, Gunky Park, Cocoon, Aliens, uh, let's see here, uh, da, 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 da. Willow uh, in 88, 89, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, another Joe Johnston film, um, In the 90s, another 48 Hours, I Love You to Death, Once Around. Uh, obviously, the Rocketeer, Thunderheart, Patriot Games, Swing Kids. Still waiting for you to get to the big one with James Horner's. Oh, <laughs> uh, which one is that? Clear and Present Danger. No. The, pe- the Pelican Brief, The Man Without a Face, Hocus no. Pocus. No. <laughs> come Uh, on you know my heart will go on oh god yeah yeah i'm only in i'm only at 94 at this point yeah Um, (laughs) yeah casper apollo 13 jumanji uh titanic uh you know mighty joe young bicentennial man uh in the 2000s he had the perfect storm troy the forgotten uh, beyond borders, four feathers, a beautiful mind. So, he was worked with, uh, you know, uh, yeah. so there's that. Um, recently, uh, in the last 14 years, The Karate Kid in 2010, Day of the Falcon in 2011, uh, The Amazing Spider Man in 2012, um, and apparently coming up 2015. Uh No, uh, 2016 and 17, Avatar 2 and 3. So, obviously, he's
0: gotten around. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I, you know, all in all, I love this film. It really does need to be remembered more. uh They, Disney has, as of late, really kind of started giving little nods to this. And I've started seeing it. They've actually got at the Planet Hollywood in downtown Disney now they have a Rocketeer outfit that's on a dummy hanging from the ceiling there.
1: I want Tron three before any Rocketeer reboot is made. That's what I friggin' want. I want the next Tron film before a Rocketeer movie. Okay. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. (laughs) My, my
0: thing though, is that I'm starting to see little bits and little nods Mm. Uh, for anybody who is a Disney fan and who goes to, to California adventures. uh, If you are at Disney's California adventure, on Buena Vista Street, which is – it's kind of like Main Street is at Disneyland, but it's it's California Adventures version. Mm-hmm. In the shops there, if you walk through in one of the shops, it's like a uh, – it's like men's clothing in this shop. And if you look up above, up on the top, they have a diorama up there. And you see a – you see some mannequins that look like Howard Hughes. <laughs> you know, you see Cliff Secord. You see – these you see like these four or five characters and they are dressed up basically like the Rocketeer straight mm-hmm. out of the movie, the Rocketeer. And I happen to look up there and I'm like, I walked in right after they had redone all of uh, Buena Vista Street. And I'm looking up there and I'm looking and this one of the one of the workers there comes over and she goes, have you figured out what movie that's from yet? And I go, it looks really. Fam- oh, my God. And she goes, you figured it out. I go, yes, it's the Rocketeer. Mm-hmm. And she goes, wow.
1: Wow. Not many people know that one. <laughs> yep. Um, really quickly, the another cool and interesting thing is this is probably the first movie, going back and watching it, probably the first thing I ever saw Margot Martindale in. Uh, she is currently on We Are the Millers on CBS. She was on yes. FX's Americans. Uh, FX's The Americans. Um, but... Um, Um, what's, oh God, what's his name? Uh, the old guy. Crap. (sighs) Malcolm. That's what it is. Uh, Malcolm is played by Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones, I know... Uh, two years from ninety one will be Jonathan Kent in the Lois and Clark: The Adventures of Superman. So it was oh really cool God. seeing, yeah, it was really cool seeing, seeing Eddie Jones as Malcolm in this again. Because I am like, hey, wait a second, that's a Jonathan Kent actor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is uh, just, a, and
0: that's the thing with this film is that there is just so many good people in this. You can't not you are at a loss for trying to mention everybody who was in this film. Absolutely. A lot of good actors. So Absolutely.
1: And the movie still so stand. I mean, you know, we have to mention the lurch of the movie because Yes. <laughs> I really thought it was Lurch. I really did. I thought it was the actor that played Lurch in the Adams family movies. It isn't, but I really did think it was because of the height thing. Oh yeah. Uh but that dude is just straight up scary in this movie.
0: Well, <laughs> and, and- When we were watching it, my wife made this comment, and I kind of thought the same thing. Mm -hmm. We're watching it, and I'm looking at the guy's face, and she goes, that's a mask. And I said, yeah, it kind of reminds me of Dick Tracy. And she's like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, just the the style of it was very, very much. And, and of course, Dick Tracy hadn't come out yet. That was due, I want want to say, like another year or something. Or maybe it was. No,
1: no, Dick Dick Tracy came out in ninety.
0: You're right, you're right. That yeah, was the yeah, summer yeah. before, well, so excuse me. Even, excuse me on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that was, you know, I I immediately thought that I'm like this is Dick Tracy stuff. Was it a carryover from that? Maybe so. I don't know. Maybe it was extra masks that were sitting around. <laughs> Possibly. But I don't know. I I enjoyed the film for what it was. I I really liked it. I enjoyed it a lot more the second time around that I saw it or or actually I should say this last time that I saw it. Partly because there's a lot more, a lot more nostalgia. There is a lot more of a cult following going on with this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't know that I'd want to see a reboot mm-hmm. for it necessarily. I, I, I would like to in some respects because I think they could pull it off, especially considering what they've done with things like Captain America. The you know the very first Captain America, where mm-hmm. they did do a lot of period piece type stuff. They have a way to make it look good, but at the same time, I'd be really worried that they would screw this thing up royally, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I, no, this does not need a remake in, uh, at all, it just doesn't. Yeah. Um. It really, really doesn't at all. It's just one of those movies that needs to live on in its own infamy and just leave it alone. Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty much it
0: for everything that I have for this film. Have you got anything else that you want to kick in here? No. Okay. Uh, I do want to go ahead then. We will thank everybody for listening, but I do want to bring up some some likes that we've had with talking about my generation here on our Facebook page. Uh, We actually have had a bunch of likes this week. (laughs) I'm not sure why, but I'm glad for it. Please keep liking the page. We have had... Uh, Callum Davies, who I believe is from the UK. I wasn't able to see who that where he's from on his Facebook page. Mm. Uh, we have Alejandro Aponte Rivera from Colombia, Dan Ritchie from Illinois. Mario Alberto Severa Severiano Rojo. <laughs> I think that's how you pronounce it. I apologize if I'm butchering your name. My Spanish is very poor, even though I've lived in Southern California for numerous years. <laughs> uh, Mario Hales from Mexico. Uh, Rosanna Robertson out of New York, Michael Allen Tucker out of Texas and Jonathan Harriman Lada out of Maine. Uh, so thank you all for liking the page. I think, you know what, if this keeps going at this rate, I'm going to have to hold another contest here and give something away. (laughs) Not sure what yet, but I've got, I've got some things floating around I can give away. So I may have to work on that. Uh, again, you know, thank you all for listening to this, uh, Please leave us feedback. I have not looked at iTunes yet to see if we have any new feedback reviews. My iTunes keeps crashing with a new version, so I'll have to do that (laughs) later. Uh, But thank you all for listening. Please go leave us voicemail. Uh, You can leave us a voicemail uh, at 760-659-0242. I'll play it on air if it's it's not too foul. Uh, If you hate us, please give us feedback and let us know. I'll say what you guys thought of us. If you hate it, great. I'd love to hear it. (laughs) Uh, You know, again, tell us what you think. If you like the episodes, it looks like we had quite a bit, actually, from everybody talking about this film today from what was posted. So I think we're going to have some good feedback on this film. Absolutely. Uh, Now, Mike, do you have anything else that you wanted to bring up for? uh,
1: Just head on over to geekcastradio.com. We have got a ton of content over there. All right. We'll go ahead and head off here,
0: and I'll probably pull... I don't know what I'll pull out yet for music. We'll, we'll figure something out. <laughs> <laughs>